We're in this apologetic series called Genesis Fact or Fiction. Listen, it's true or it's not. You can't pick out parts and pieces. You can't say, well, that whole Noah's Ark bit doesn't make any sense. Yes, it's true or it's not true. I meant to get this up between services and didn't have time. Y'all give me just a second. There's a few spots up here that have caught my eye for the last two hours. And uh, that's pretty clean. All right. So here's the, I'm sorry, there are issues. I know I'm getting over them. Um, Here's the thing. If you don't believe in the narrative as it is presented, then you have a problem with Jesus Christ because Jesus very clearly believed not only in the Genesis account, but in Noah himself, in the days of Noah. So you're you're really saying Jesus is a liar or Jesus is wrong. So that's how important this is. Well, uh, let's learn this verse. You guys already know it. So we're going to put a bunch of blanks in it in a minute, but let's show you with no blanks. This is a pivotal verse, guys. This verse, around this verse hinges whether we're here or not. Because everything's bad. It's really, really bad. It was very good. Now it's very bad. There's corruption everywhere. Say this with me. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's a great verse. Man, if you don't have that, we're not here. And nothing we love is here. And things don't look the way they do now. And so Genesis 6, 8, let's say it with a bunch of blanks. You ready? But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Yeah, what a beautiful truth. What have we learned the last couple of weeks? We said a storm is brewing. What were the signs? Well, the signs are this. Sin is multiplying. Punishment is coming. God is grieving. But remember this, grace is abounding. Grace is abounding. Today, I've titled this message, Be Prepared. If a storm is coming, we got to get ready. We had to prepare for hurricanes Matthew and Irma down in Florida. In fact, with Irma, we had the sandbag in front of our garage. It's a good thing we prepared. Even still, at 3, 4 in the morning, we were out there bailing water out of our garage. It was a horrible storm. Hundreds and hundreds of people lost everything they had within a couple of mile radius of our church. People lived on our campus for over, over a month. We mudded out and mudded out and mudded out and tried to help folks left and right and give them Jesus while we were helping them in practical ways. But it rocked our area. And it would have been far worse if people had not been prepared for the storm that was coming. And I almost called this something like, you know, follow the instructions or follow the directions. But I decided be prepared because it is a phrase that has stood out to me for coming up on actually 20 years. 20 years ago, I was voted into my first church's senior pastor. Four years prior to that, I had been an associate education and worship guy. Um, And I loved my time there, but when I was voted in as Salem's pastor, um, (laughs) they did it back then where you, you preached and then I left the room, Cindy and I and the two girls at the time went back to what would become my office and they counted right then. They counted the people. And then the chairman of the search team, who's still just a wonderful brother, came and told us, yep, you were approved, da-da-da, gave us all of that. And then we went out and and we had this line because the church was so small, everybody could come through at one time. And so everybody came through that line. And one guy, senior adult gentleman, he became a dear friend of ours, became a neighbor of ours. Um, he, He grabbed me by the hand. He pulled me in real close, closer than I was comfortable with, just between us. And he looked me right in the eye and he he said two words. He said, be prepared. (laughs) And I was like, yes, sir. (laughs) And it's all he said. And he kept walking. 
And I thought, what does this guy know that I don't know? What, what, be prepared for what, right? And, and I did have to be prepared. There were a lot of things as a young pastor I still needed to learn as I still do today. And so uh, it, it turned out to be an incredible experience the next 11 years. God blessed in so many ways. I'll tell you another story in a minute, but just that church was so good to us and that community and there are wonderful people up there in Dobson, which is a town of 1500. And then Mayberry, Mount Airy is the big city. Can you imagine? where Andy Griffith was from was the big city. <laughs> That's the big city for, to me. From our front porch, you could see Mount Pilot or Pilot Mountain. No joke. This is where we served our first 11 years for me as a senior pastor. And I just, God just grew us in so many ways, but I'll never forget my dear brother saying, be prepared. And he was right. But today I think if God could say anything to us, I think he would say to us, be prepared. This kind of judgment is not coming to the world again, but there is another judgment coming. Stay with me and you'll see. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. We had read in eight, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse nine, this is the genealogy of Noah. He was a just man, perfect or blameless in his generations. Noah walked with God and Noah begot three sons, Shem, Ham, and some people say Japheth, some people say Japheth. Most often I hear Japheth, so I typically pronounce it that way. It doesn't really matter. It's ancient Hebrew. Yes, Miss Sophia, we love you. The earth also was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Now watch this. God said to Noah, the end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence through them, and behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms or compartments in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. And this is how you shall make it. Now God gets really specific. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits. Hmm. Okay, and you shall make a window for the ark. That means an opening all the way around, meaning this. You're gonna finish it to the cubit from above. So there's this opening, this, this um, airflow, if you will, all the way around. And he said, you're gonna finish it to the cubit above, set the door of the ark. Notice it's one door, that's important, on the side. And you shall make it with lower second and third decks, meaning it's gonna be a three-story ark. Didn't need a mast. Didn't need a rudder. This is not a sailing ship. This is not a navigational vessel. This is simply gonna rise and float on the water. Nobody's gonna steer this big ship. It's just gonna do its thing by way of saving Noah, his family, and the animals. And behold, look at this. God said, I myself, this is not just a natural disaster, I myself am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you. You shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. Now notice the binary. We'll see it a lot in the next chapter too. They shall be male and female. Now guys, this is not the point of the sermon. But why male and female? Because you don't propagate the, the species with two of the same kind. Enough said for now. Of the birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, of creeping thing after the earth, of the earth after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. Next chapter will expand that a little bit for the religious part of this. And you shall take for yourselves of all the food that is eaten and you shall gather it to yourselves and it shall be food for you and for them. 
Thus Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm very, very grateful for those words we just finished with. That Noah listened to your instructions precisely, and he did exactly what you told him to do. If that were not the case, I guess we wouldn't be here today. I see no other way forward than salvation through Noah and his family and this ark, this singular door that saved humanity and saved animal kind. Thank you for your salvation, even in the midst of judgment. Lord, continue to save this day in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you and be seated. There's a lot of nuances and details about the flood that I've been studying and wanting to bring out. The reality is I'm leaving a lot on the cutting room floor just for the sake of time, guys. But the flood narrative is important, right? There are two chapters in Genesis on creation narrative, two, that tell us how all things came to be. There are three chapters in Genesis on the flood narrative. Do you think it's important that God helps us to understand, he wants us to understand decreation and recreation. God really wants us to get this stuff, that he takes sin seriously. So stick with me over the next several weeks. I will take what I'm gonna call intentional excursus. An excursus would be, Uh, If you're not intentional about it, it looks like a bunny trail. It's not a bunny trail. People want to know about the dinosaurs. People want to know about uh, the rain. How did we have that much rain? I'm going to do some teaching in those areas because, again, I'm saying it's an apologetic study. So it may not be quite as line by line as we're used to or certainly not as much as I'm used to preaching. But I do want you to know these things are important because there's so many naysayers out there. And we've been taught a certain way. In fact, I'm going to show you some images next week that really do a grave disservice to our children and our teenagers. We've got to understand that this is true or it's not. And I choose the former. And so what I want us to do today is talk about how to be prepared, okay? The first point just covers a few verses. The second point, the rest. To be prepared, we must first walk with God. I think that almost goes without saying, but we're obviously not talking about a new flood coming. We're talking about what happened then and there, but we are gonna bridge the gap from then and there to here and now. And if we're gonna be prepared, we must first walk with God. Notice in eight and nine, Noah had found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And it says that he's a just man. He's blameless or perfect in his generations. And he walked with God. God's favor was on him. Now, let me make sure we're clear on something. Uh, this is your subpoint. The focus here is not that Noah was good, but that God was gracious. The fact that Noah finds favor or grace in the eyes of the Lord, the word favor here, grace, the first time this is used in all the Bible. We never see it before this verse that we've just memorized. But he finds this unmerited kindness in the eyes of God because he separated himself from the sinful culture of his day. Now again, when we get to chapter 9, Noah's going to be sprawled out naked on his tent floor, drunk from the wine he made. Noah's not perfect in the sense of sinless. That's not what the Hebrew word means. Unfortunately, when we've translated that and the old King James and new King James put it in English, we hear perfect as never making mistakes. The intent, though, was more mature. Uh, He couldn't be blamed. You couldn't point a finger at him and say, Noah, you're a bad guy because. But he did make mistakes. The curse of Adam and Eve have fallen as heavily on Noah as anyone else. But he's blameless in his time because God showed him favor. And what we really see here is that the whole earth is exceedingly wicked. But out of God's free will, 
God's favor came to rest on this one man. And so I've written this little point, Noah was given God's grace and then acted on that grace. The fact that you're sitting here today means you're given God's grace. You live in this land, and I know this land has trouble, guys. I know there are issues all around us. I was gonna save this to the end, but I'm actually gonna just speak to it in the context of this moment, because I think God wants me to. This whole thing with Tyree Nichols in Memphis absolutely breaks my heart. And listen, you know I love our men and women in blue. I support those who are out there doing really hard jobs. I've done so many ride-alongs and been blessed to serve somewhat as, a, as a, um, just a generic chaplain to our, our guys um, in other places. And I'll tell you this, it's so sad to me what's happened, but when you watch that video, my heart breaks for this young man. I know he was resisting arrest. I know there are both sides. I realize it, but I don't believe anybody deserves to be kicked and beaten in that form. And this is not about the color of one's skin, my friends. This is about every person you see, whether they look like you or not, is made in the image of God. Every man and woman and boy and girl is made in the image of a holy God. And we've got to do better. And it breaks my heart for the family. I am grateful that his mother has asked for peaceful protest and no violence, but we live in a violent world. We live in a world where we need justice to be done, and I'm not gonna speak to this long, but I simply want to say that we love you and support you, men and women who serve. But we also, at the same time, recognize that when everything is on tape, we have got, whether it's on tape or not, quite frankly, we need to do the right thing by one another as human beings. We need to be better to one another as people. We need to understand that this is somebody's son, this is someone's daughter, and they need to be treated with respect and dignity. And you have my word as a church, we are not gonna swing this pendulum too far one way or the other. Because when a pastor falls, it doesn't mean all pastors are bad. It better not mean that. When a teacher does something with a student they ought not do, it does not mean all teachers are bad. But I'm praying for justice to be done in this situation. And if those law enforcement fellows went too far, and I, I don't know the, the story, but my assessment is very concerning. Just in watching those recently released videos, I would simply say this. We as a people need to pray. We need to pray for peace. We need to pray for a sense of civility in our land because this violence is getting us nowhere. I'm going to leave it at that. But I do want you to understand that we are called individually to act on the grace that God gives us. Because if we're Christians, if we're Christians, our faith works. Look at that phrase, faith works. If I have faith in God, it has to manifest itself in works. It has to come out in works. It's not faith or works or faith and works. Hebrews eleven seven says, by faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things yet not seen, moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household, by which he condemned the world and became heir of righteousness, which is according to faith. In other words, God said, my favor rests upon you. We just sang about it. His favor was upon him, but he still had to act on that favor. And for those living in the Old Testament times and those living in the New Testament times and those living today, Christianity has never been, nor will it ever be fundamentally about works or performance. But James teaches us that biblical faith works. The seed planted will manifest into fruit, good fruit, more fruit, much fruit, fruit that remains. And we as Christians should above all people be prepared to say, we need to let our light 
so shine before men that they see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Think about what Mo- Moses, I'm gonna do that, I'm sorry. Noah is doing. Noah is building a big boat on dry ground. Now maybe it's never even rained yet. I'll talk about that more next week. I tend to think, I certainly know it's never flooded like that before. The Bible's very clear about that. Maybe it's never even rained the way we see rain, like this morning. But you know what? Noah is moving by faith. Let me ask you something. Have you ever trusted God for something you haven't seen yet? Okay. Most of us, if we walk with God any length of time, have trusted him for something we hadn't seen. We go to Salem. God's just blowing the doors off. God's doing great things. It's a good church. It's a good church before I got there. I didn't make it that way. God had his hand on that place. And I go in and we're growing and, and uh, six, seven months in, we make a determination. We're going to tear, this is the big part, tear the old buildings down of a 115-year-old church and put up new, bigger, state-of-the-art facilities, worship center, offices, classrooms, et cetera. And I need to know, are these people commit? Everybody can commit to build something, y'all. You gotta commit to pay for it, you know what I mean? <laughs> you, you, you can't just build stuff, you gotta pay for stuff. So I ask the leadership, what's the largest single offering in the 115-year history of the church? And for a given week, the largest offering, the largest offering was $33,000. You got to remember, this church at this time averaged $3,000 a week. About $168,000 a year was our total budget. You know, the first time I sat in my office here and they handed me the health check and it, y'all had given something like 200 and some thousand dollars that week. I sat in my office and cried like a baby because I was seeing from one week as much as when I started in ministry in one year. And I asked them if they give 33,000, I said, okay, then we need a God-sized goal. We need a bigger goal. And so I got up in front of the church and I made this announcement. I didn't ask Cindy about it. I probably should have, but I made this announcement. I said, I believe if God's really wanting us to do this thing, then um, y'all can bring $50,000 into the church in one pass of the plate. Y'all know what a pass of the plate is, right? We're not so young, we forget. We used to pass the plate. And uh, you could feel the oxygen get sucked out of the room when I said it. I could even, my sweetheart was even looking at me like I had two heads. And we got home and she said, are you sure? You're talking about about a third of the annual budget in a week. And I said, baby, listen, we've got the money. There's only one problem. It's still in their pockets, right? So I've got to give, we've got to give, everybody's got to give to make this happen or it ain't going to happen. And so... uh, we, we went on, we gave them some time to prepare for that. And it was going to be the last Sunday before we tore it down, tore everything down. And I said, okay, here's the big offering, blah, blah, blah. We had a name for it, I guess, or whatever it was. So we passed the plate and they went to the back, the finance team, and it took forever, which I thought was a good sign, right? And so they came out. I can still see them coming through on that bright red carpet. And they handed me that little slip of paper and my faith became sight. They didn't give 50,000. They gave over $77,000 in that one little pass of the plate with that little tiny kind of If I had gotten happy and raised my hands and jumped, I'd have put my hand through the ceiling. That's how small that room was. And God did something miraculous. And I realized then if we trust God for big things, even if we can't see them yet, 
God often shows up in big ways. And I'm so grateful for those experiences because when I look at a guy like Noah, I think, how did this guy start getting the wood and building a ship on dry ground? No doubt people were razzing him. No doubt he was being mocked left and right. But it was by faith God gave him grace. He exercised it by faith and great things began to happen. It's the first time we see that word here, grace, in all of the Bible. So how do we please God, by the way? If you want to please God, because obviously Noah found favor with God, how do you please him? Well, Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it is impossible to please God. When you come to God, you must believe he is. In other words, I believe he's exi- he exists, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's a beautiful picture, guys. So look at verse 11. Let's walk through this for a minute. The earth was so corrupt before God, the earth was filled with violence. So everything, everything is corrupt. Now it says nothing about angels being corrupt, so I stick with my position of the Sethites, that these are immoral men, immoral women. And earth occurs three different times in this text, meaning that not just people, but the earth is going to shudder. Do you realize we wouldn't have the hurricanes, the earthquakes, the volcanoes, the tornadoes? We would not have the natural disasters we experience, and we won't have them in the new heavens and new earth because those are here because of sin. The earth itself is groaning under the weight of sin. But, Moses, but Noah walked with God, just like Enoch, who walked with God before him, and God took him. And God wants us to walk with him, folks. Listen to me. Walking with God is spending time with him, not blocking him out. Adam walked with God before the fall. Adam and Eve in Genesis 3, eight hid behind the trees God made for them, but God came seeking them in the cool of the day. God wanted to reestablish a relationship and walk with them. And people will know. I'm telling y'all, people will know if you've been walking with God. It's just like Acts 4.13. The Bible says they saw the boldness of Peter and John Perceived they were uneducated, untrained men, agramatos idiotes, men without grammar skills, men who were illiterate and idiots. And yet they marveled, the religious elitists marveled because it said they knew they had been with Jesus. That is a beautiful verse of scripture. People are going to know if you really walk with God. Why? Because I wrote this down. You often take on the characteristics of those you hang around. Noah looked more godly than his contemporaries because Noah walked with God. It could not be said of those other folks living in his culture in that day, you often look like your environment. You often take on the characteristics of your environment. I was trying to come up in my brain with an illustration, and all I could come up with for this specific area that I haven't talked to you about before is um, I used to go on these service calls and sales calls with my father in the boiler business. And we go to these big plants and industrial places. The worst of them all by far was going to the rendering plants. Anybody know what a rendering plant is? Yeah, some of y'all. That's a smell you'll never forget, man. I grew up around farms. I grew up around tobacco farms, uh, cows, hogs. I know those smells, but a rendering, a rendering plant is basically converting packing house waste, kitchen grease, livestock carcasses. So if you had a disease run through your hogs and they died and they were bloating, you take them to the rendering plant. And what they do with them is they get the fats and oils out. They create tallow, like for soaps, 
So from a dead, dead hog to your soap, congratulations, that's what you're using. Uh, ladies, not to wig you out, but in some makeups, they put these, these products, sometimes for dog food, fertilizers, it's used in all manner of things. But a rendering plant takes the worst of the worst of the worst, and it renders it into something useful. There's just a massive problem. Rendering plants have a smell that human language cannot describe. It's beyond the worst of the worst. Have you ever had a smell so bad that when you got away from it, it lingered in your nose for a long time? You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever had a smell so rotten that, I say, I'm trying to keep y'all from getting hungry today. Have you ever had a smell so rotten that it stuck to your clothing? And you just felt like, man, I, somebody's got to scrub me down. I got a shower. And so that's the way this was. It clung to you. Well, the, the wickedness of, of uh, Noah's day clung to the people, but because Noah was walking with God, the sweet aroma of God's holiness and grace clung to him. You know, I don't want to hang out in a rendering plant. I hang out with Cindy because I, I like the way she smells. And listen, I want to be serious for a minute. Yes, I, she makes me smell sweeter, but that's true on the inside too. Hanging out with my bride makes me a better man. That's just the truth of it. And I'm not saying that to get more sugar, though that would be nice. Where is she? She ain't even in the room. She took the baby out. Email me this recording later today so I can give just this part, just this part. Golly, man, I had this all worked out. So, but it's the truth. Being with her makes me better. And walking every day with Jesus makes me better. Being at that Texas ranch with Frank. Hey, did you hear it? It's probably worth some extra sugar, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Praise Jesus. See how good God is? What was I talking about? Um, no, the reality is when I was sitting at that ranch, looking out over that beautiful Texas hill country. I was excited, knowing we were gonna to get to deer hunting. You know, that's a passion of mine. I was excited. I wanted Frank to get his first one, he did. I, we had a great trip, but guys, spending time about 5.30 every morning when the coffee was brewing with my scripture, with prayer, with my God, walking in the word with the Lord Jesus. Man, that stuff is priceless. And that time is so valuable. It's so important to walk in intimacy because you really do take on the characteristics of those you hang around. Are you wanting to walk so close with God that the aroma of Christ, the fragrance of Christ is on you like 2 Corinthians 2.15? First, we gotta walk with God. Second, to be prepared, we gotta follow his instructions precisely. Now y'all watch this, we're gonna walk through here. God's response to corruption and violence is worldwide judgment, but it's also the provision of a safe haven for humankind through one man and his family. It's interesting to me that flood narratives have been a part of human history throughout all of time. Many of you have heard of the Gilgamesh epic, but there are over 200 flood narratives. Listen to me, 200 plus flood narratives throughout the world. And you say, well, doesn't that bother you? Doesn't that make it seem as though the Bible is somehow just pulling from tradition? No, man, I would be deeply bothered if the Bible alone spoke about a universal flood narrative and nobody else was talking about it. I believe when we come to the Bible, we have the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So this is the strand of God's truth. And I believe that when cultures, 
were divided, and we'll get there, Genesis 11, when God scattered the people around this globe, of course they took flood narratives. Now, mistakes crept in, nuance and difference crept in, but I believe God's account of Genesis best aligns with what happened historically and what we can observe naturally even now. Even if you did not give me a Bible, even if I had no idea, I truly believe that you could look at the evidence of the world we live in today and I would say something radical happened here. Something radical laid on the layers. We're going to talk about that next week in great detail. But I've written it like this. Variant flood narratives simply point to the reality of God's truth throughout history. I believe there's one strand of truth and that is the Noah flood or the Noahic flood. And then you have these other tales that spin off of this flood. If there weren't other accounts, we ought to be nervous. Why is nobody else talking about this? Why are only Bible-believing Jews and Christians speaking of such things, or, or even Muslims, since we have a common heritage from Abraham? But look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark, cover it inside and outside with pitch. Gopher wood, what is it? We don't know. The truth is that word is only used here and it's been lost in translation. Many scholars say a type of cypress, even a type of pine. The actual wood itself didn't matter as much because it would be covered inside and out with pitch. It's a tar-like substance. It's got, comes from oil, which is plentiful in the Near East. And the ark has an unspecified number of rooms or compartments, no doubt keeping animals and people and food separated appropriately. So. When I read this verse, it says it's covered in pitch, it's covered in tar. That immediately made me go back and remember there's another vessel covered in pitch or tar. I just read about it in my quiet time. If you're on the grace reading plan, you just read about it. It's actually called a basket in most translations. But I began to compare the Hebrew from Genesis 6 and Exodus 2. And what I found is that the phraseology is almost identical. And so I found this article from an Old Testament scholar, Isaac his, his last name is great, Kikawada, K-I-K-A-W-A-D-A, Kikawada. Isaac Kikawada wrote an article called Noah in the Ark, and he compares the language of Moses in Exodus, so I'll probably say Moses built the Ark, get over it. And so he compares Moses to Noah, the vessel is identified in Exodus 2 as an ark. It actually says that Noah, uh, Moses' mother fashioned a small ark. She covered it with pitch in the exact same language structure as Moses. And then when we parallel the two accounts, we find that Moses, whose name means drawn from water, was saved out of water. Noah and his family were saved out of water. Later, Moses would be given specific instructions by God and told to follow them precisely. He did that. He constructed what we know as the tabernacle, the forerunner to the temple. We also know that later he would be delivered out of water again, and all these Israelites would be delivered out of water. We call that the Red Sea where Pharaoh and his armies would be drowned. And so God has set up all of these amazing parallels and he uses men like Noah and Moses as precursors, as forerunners to Christ. But when we get to the book of Hebrews, what we find is that Jesus Christ is greater than Moses. Jesus Christ is greater than all Noah and all of these figures. It is fascinating to me and I'm not gonna press that any further. But if you ever get a chance, follow the trajectory of Noah, follow the trajectory of Moses and see how much they have in common. But 
While both men followed God's instructions precisely, Jesus is the ultimate example of following God's instructions. Do you get that? Jesus is greater than them both. Jesus came and did everything the Father told him to do. Moses would fall, right? We know that he would be disgraced. He would fall and do it his way instead of God's way at the end of his life. Noah would later fall. Noah would have his own share of issues with his family and with his sons. Noah would have problems, but Jesus was perfect from beginning to end. And so that's a freebie. Now back to 15. This is how you make the ark. The length, 300 cubits, width 50, height 30. What is a cubit? Okay, a normal cubit is this measurement right here. Y'all check that out. It's your elbow to the tip of your finger. On an average person, um, and, and again, you got to go back several thousand years, many thousand years. Uh, that's 18 inches, generally. Eight, I measured mine in my office because every man needs a tape measure and a screwdriver in his office drawer. So I pulled mine out a few weeks ago. I'm 19 and one quarter. Some of you guys that are bigger than me, I'm 6'6", six, six, give or take, uh, you know, uh, a foot. And so... Um, you know, if you, you may be longer, shorter, but I'm 19 and a quarter. But they had standards. Now, a long cubit could be as much as 24 inches. So let's do a little bit of elementary math, okay? So on a standard cubit of 18 inches, this vessel's 450 feet long, football field and a half, 75 feet high, 45 feet, uh, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. That's large. If you go to the long cubit, it's 600 long, 100 wide, 60 high. Scholars kind of dance around and, and they all end up somewhere between the standard cubit and the long cubit, everybody. So even if you go up to the Ark Encounter, which we are planning a trip this spring, if you wanna get involved in that, limited number, but in May, we're gonna take a family trip to the Ark Encounter. Um, that one I think is about 510 feet in their rendering. I think they use a 19 and a half inch cubit or something. But the point is, it is a big, big vessel. And so if you hold to the very smallest measurement, the 18-inch cubit, you got 95,700 square feet, three decks, 1.4 million cubic feet of volume, large enough by far to carry the prescribed cargo, a carrying capacity equaling 522 railroad stock cars. And if you just stack sheep in there, which a lot of these critters, now think about it, a lot of things are smaller than sheep. What about the big things? What about the dinosaurs? We'll talk about them next week. What makes us think we have to have adults, by the way? What makes you think you have to have adult giraffes and adult hippos and adult this or adult? No, no, no. Probably, almost certainly, juvenile, post-weaning age, smaller variants. And if you look and we explain this, folks, you could put 125,000 sheep in here. That's more than enough space for these specific kinds. More than enough. Moses is very specific. You know, I'm one of those guys, not all guys like to, I'm one of those guys that likes to follow the instructions. And I'll tell you in just a moment how he could have gotten, and I'll tell you just a minute about kinds and species and all that, but I like to follow the instructions. My father, bless his heart, <laughs> he did not like to follow written instructions. And so growing up putting stuff together with him, because I'm, I tend to be slightly, you know, I have some issues. I, um, don't laugh at that, man. I have some things. I, like, we got Ikea furniture for our kids when we lived in Jacksonville, some, some of their stuff. You, you got to have a special degree to read those instructions and put that stuff together. Bobby and I were putting together last year a trampoline we bought for Lucy. Have y'all ever tried to put together a trampoline? 
I'm telling you, if you don't get the springs in the right order, you can't just go one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. By the time you get on the other side, it will kill you or you will strain your guts out. Literally, your guts will fall on the floor. You can't do it. You've got to follow the instructions. One, two, three, four. You know, you've got to do it the right way. And somehow we think, well, if I don't do, if I, uh, maybe I should follow them for a trampoline, but what about life? Listen, life, you have an instruction guide. You have a booklet that says, do this and don't do that. It's in white and black or red and black or uh, red and white. You know what God expects from you. If you study the word at all, you know what God says. You know God's top 10. Just those 10 commandments can often get us and keep us on a good, straight, and narrow path. Don't overcomplicate things. Noah followed the instructions. Moses later followed the instructions. We're called to follow the instructions. He said there's a window at the top, a big open spot for air circulation. It's engineering, it's crafting, it's incredible. 17, we'll talk about how the floodwaters came on the earth. We'll see how God brings the torrential rains from above and from below. We're gonna unpack that in great detail next week. And then we have the first occurrence in the Bible of the word rendered covenant. God cuts the first covenant. That's the language of the Hebrew. God makes or cuts the first covenant with mankind. A special promise to Noah and his family for deliverance. It's God's gracious decision. We know later Jesus would cut a covenant in his own blood. That we would be delivered from disaster and judgment and death if we would trust him. If we come by grace through faith. Not unlike this covenant. And then when we get to 19 and following, he explains how two of every living creature will come. How did Noah have time to go gather two of every living creature? Back up, read your Bible carefully. Your Bible says, of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort to keep them alive, and they shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, and animals after their kind, and every creeping thing of the earth after its kind, two of every kind, what's the next line? Will come to you to keep them alive. He didn't go have to hunt the animals. He had to go gather the food. As he's building, God brings the animals. I know what some of y'all are thinking. In your brain, you're thinking Evan Almighty. Okay, get over that. Come back to the Bible. Here's the thing. That was a localized flood. It's critical that you understand this is a universal flood. Again, next week I'll say why it has to be a universal flood. But what we find is that the animals come to him. Some may have been larger. Some may have been smaller. How do you explain it? You didn't need a golden retriever, a Doberman, a Chihuahua, if that's even a dog. You didn't need all of those to come to the ark. You needed a male dog and a female dog, a male canine and a female. When you do the math, when you break that down, and when you consider that when scientists speak of all these millions and millions and millions of species, most of those are variants and most of those are in the tiny, teeny insect and creepy crawly kind, right? And so what we discover is when you boil it all down, even with the dinosaurs, you can easily fit this number of animals, this number of kinds. I don't think it matches specifically to species or family, but somewhere between those, you can easily fit them in a vessel of this size. Also, I would say to us as we start to pull the train toward the station, don't get hung up in the small stuff. If God can bring them, 
If God can provide enough food, if God can, through this man, engineer this type of vessel to withstand this flood, if God can, in the beginning, create all we see from nothing, why can God not do this? Why can God not protect this family? Why can God not protect these animals? When you get hung up in the small stuff, you you're, it hurts your brain, and you try to put yourself in God's place, and you're never going to figure it all out. In fact, I give you some free marital advice, guys. Listen to me. If you're not signed up for the marriage conference, shame on you. Get right with Jesus and sign up. But number two, don't get hung up in the small stuff. When I was married, man, I thought I had to be right about everything. Now I just enjoy being happy, okay? I don't get hung up in the small stuff anymore. I guess that's what 28 years does for you. You just learn to move on. And as a Christian man, I love learning and growing and studying the nuance of Scripture and even having to leave a lot edited out on my office floor. But at the same time, I realize God could bring these animals. God made them. God could bring two of every kind that could reproduce. And do you know, breeders will tell you, it does not take very long to breed variety. It does not take many generations to have all sorts of variety. In fact, half of y'all have got some form of a doodle at your house right now. I never heard of so many doodles in my life. There's a poopy doodle and a doodle doodle and all these doodles. There's all this craziness in the world and and y'all want another doodle. That's all right. I'm not going to get on that. But here's the thing, you can get a lot of variety in a little bit of time. You just need a couple of species to start. And they have to be male. I don't care what your apple emoji says. They have to be male and female. Because that's the way God designed the system. It's a binary. Don't get hung up on the small stuff. Do you know that Jesus Christ himself teaches that in the days before the rapture and the tribulation, they will be like the days of Noah, quoting Luke 17 and Matthew 24. Some even say we're living in the days of Noah today. We see parallels, don't we? Population explosion, moral corruption, violence, seeming lack of conscience in many, true believers shrinking in many areas. And I'm praying, guys, for a national awakening and a worldwide awakening. I believe without an awakening, a sweeping wave of judgment has to come to the land. I just believe that the way we're going is not honoring the Lord. So what do we've got to do? To be prepared, we must first walk with God. Then we've got to follow God's instructions precisely. And I would remind us, obedience flows from relationship. You don't do the right things and then develop a relationship with God. You have a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. And then from that flows a faith that works. You and I both know. If you've ever been here at all, you've heard somebody say, Jesus Christ came to this earth. He was tempted like we are tempted and lived a perfect life. He followed the will of his father precisely. They took him and killed him because they thought they were getting rid of a troublemaker, but they were actually following the plan of God. And I'm certain the devil and the demons of hell squealed in evil delight thinking they won. But the third day by the power of God, he was raised to new life to prove that God said, I accept his sacrifice on your behalf. He came and he ministered on this earth another 40 days and then he ascended back to the right hand of God the Father. And if you will place your trust in him, I am not telling you you have to figure it all out. Good luck with that. You're a finite and he is infinite. You will never figure it all out. But by faith, You can trust Jesus today. By faith, Noah built that boat when there was no water on the ground. By faith, 
you can do something today that changes eternity because the work has been finished through Christ. And if you're not prepared, I promise you somebody else is. Listen, the first movie Miss Cindy and I ever went to see together in the theater, uh, y'all know the story. She saw me across the crowded choir room. She had to have me. She begged, she begged, she begged. I said yes. We went to the movies later and something like that. And we saw The Lion King. Y'all remember the original one, right? 94. Um, The Lion King. Love that movie. We have a poster in our basement of that movie because of the great memory You know the basic story. There's King Mufasa. There's his brother. Do you remember his brother's name? Scar. He had the scar, yeah. Uh, He worked with the hyenas, and the hyenas were typically enemies of the lions, but Scar's plotting against his brother, King Mufasa. He's eventually going to have him killed and blame it on young Simba. But do you remember the really creepy song that Scar sings? It is the name of our message today. I won't read the ending of it, but the ending says this. So prepare for the coup of the century. Be prepared for the murkiest scam. Meticulous planning, tenacity spanning, decades of denial is simply why I'll be king undisputed, respected, saluted, and seen for the wonder I am. Yes, my teeth and ambitions are bared. Be prepared. And then with Scar, the hyenas join in the chorus. Yes, our teeth and ambitions are bared. Be prepared. If you know your Bible at all, You know that there is an enemy of humankind that hates us and only wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan and his cohorts called demons are attempting to usurp the authority of Christ in this world and specifically in your life and mine. They tried killing him. That didn't work. So now they're after our testimony and our influence. They don't want lost people to be saved, and they don't want saved people to be effective and influential with the gospel. As Jeff comes up, I would simply remind you of this truth. According to Revelation 12, 11, the devil and the demons will be overcome, listen to this, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. I give a testimony today that I do not deserve salvation, but some almost four 40 years ago, the Lord Jesus Christ came into my life when I trusted him by grace through faith. I am his child. I know I don't deserve it. I know I couldn't earn it, but I am saved and I'm ready to meet my Savior because of what he did, not because of what I can do. I have a testimony, and by the blood of the Lamb and the word of the testimony, the devil himself is defeated. Hell has no hold on me. I'm heaven bound. And I believe you got a testimony too. If you know Jesus, if you know Jesus Christ, you have a testimony. But some of y'all sitting out there saying, man, I don't know. I don't know if I've got a testimony. Well, get it right today, brother. Come on and trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. Give your life to him. I promise you Satan is working overtime to keep you from God. But if I had two words to leave you with today, you already know what they're going to be. They've been at your face the whole morning. Are you ready? Here it is. Trust Jesus. Give your life to him and be prepared. Thank you so much for watching us today. God is doing absolutely amazing things in and through our Grace Baptist Church family. If you'd like to share anything the Lord is doing in your life, feel free to reach out to us through our website or our app. And if you're ever in the Knoxville area, come by and worship with us and our family of faith here at Grace Baptist Church.